Are you ready to begin your journey out of the realm of just theories and into a world of excitement and experience that only comes with braving the unknown? Join us as we speak to entrepreneurs who have faced the challenges of successfully creating businesses at home as well as abroad. Whether it's arts, services, or tech, from Shanghai to Tokyo, Bangkok to Mumbai, we'll help you find your inspiration and turn it into action. Get ready for Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now welcome your host, Neville J. McKenzie. Today's interview is with Drew Campbell. Drew is an Australian national. He is the founder and CEO of WHS, which is the first independent retail chain of health food stores in mainland China. His company is the first resident of a new workspace in Shanghai called The Node, and by whose management we were invited. He talks openly and frankly and lets us know what it's like to be an entrepreneur in China and about the need to take on a much broader range of responsibilities and skills that are required to compete in, overcome and survive the day-to-day issues in the Chinese health, wellness and fitness industry that has seen many others fail. So now, without further delay, let's begin. And here's a warning. There is some swearing in this episode. I'm with Drew Campbell. And Drew Campbell is probably, well, he is the first resident of a new center in Shanghai called The Node. So, Drew, can you just introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, My name is Drew Campbell. I'm originally uh, from Melbourne, Australia. I've been in China for a decade. I never anticipated it being that long. And I think uh, most expats or entrepreneurs will probably say the same thing. You don't plan to be here this long, but you end up being here a decade, which is nearly 30% of my life. (laughs) So we're here in the Node. Why did you choose the Node? Why did you choose to base your business in the Node? Uh, You want a marketing response or just straight straight to the point? Both. (laughs) They gave me a good deal. They gave you a good deal. Very simple. And I've got um, a flexible contract and no deposits. So as a business owner, we sometimes more often make decisions based on finance. So that's why. (laughs) So that's probably because you are the first here. Can you give us some details about the node? Max introduced me, who's also part of the team from uh, Shanghai Entrepreneurs or China Entrepreneurs. He does a networking thing. He's a nice guy. Um, And he introduced me. and, And just by coincidence, our lease and his lease were running out. So we both by default became the first tenants of the node. And uh, I do like the concept. We looked at a lot of other, we had um, our own office for a while, but we're looking at something a little cleaner and a little nicer and that communal um, aspect. So so we chose the node and we looked at um, serviced offices, which were a lot more expensive, a lot smaller. It's all of the fine print extra costs. So it's, 1,800 per seat, plus this extra, plus that extra, and then you're suddenly paying 3,000 RMB per seat. Uh, the thing with the node is they give you a, a one net price, including the internet, including XYZ. So it's a lot more transparent, and I like that. There's a lot of always hidden costs in China, and we get a little bit sick of it after a while. So is that the reason why you chose the node, or are there any other reasons? No, I feel it, Felix, um, the, the office manager guy, uh, he seemed pretty friendly and straightforward. And you know, as you can see, it's not exactly ready, but um, we got a good deal. So, yeah. you know, that, that's the way it is. And can you tell me what exactly do you do? 
Okay, we are uh, the first health food store chain. Um, that's predominantly what we're known for, but uh, we do the importing and distribution side as well. Um, being pioneers, um, and it, it sounds lovely in the word of pioneer, but in reality it's um, a lot of headaches and uh, a lot of troublesome things and, and things you just have to do yourself. For example, the importing and the distribution side. So we do the retail uh, online, but predominantly offline in our bricks and mortar. We have uh, one store in Beijing, three in Shanghai in prominent locations. Um, traditional retail will not have to um, import their products themselves. So they're relying off um, third party suppliers, 30 day payment terms, uh, so inventory is not usually an issue. Um, they have to just concentrate on simple things, which is sales and marketing. And in, in, in my book of being a businessman for this long in China, uh, sales and marketing is easy. Um, that's the, 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 the basics. If you can't do sales and marketing, give up, because that's 101. It, it's, the, it's the underneath um, running of the business, which, which is complicated. And in China, it's more complicated because there's a lot of things in my industry, which is very new for China, just not set up. Can you give us an example of that? Well, uh, when I started, I mean, we started selling from my apartment in Beijing. I live in Shanghai now. I've lived in Beijing for nine years. Uh, we started selling online, uh, cash on delivery, and there was simply very little suppliers. Um, now, the suppliers that we could work with, which were few, were didn't have inventory often themselves. So, for example, uh, BSN, which is a famous sports supplement brand, um, NO Explode, which was really hot seven years ago. You're right about the background noise. Yeah. It's noisy in China. Um, they would be out of inventory all the time. And then the other case of suppliers, you literally don't know if it's a real or fake product. Um, and, and that's not, you know, the scary, you know, foreigners scaring people about fake products in China. It's the literal truth. I could say that all suppliers in my industry on the the entrepreneurial level, not the, the large business level, um, have at one time sold fake product. And I can say 100% that we have never sold fake product. Now, um, that How do you guarantee that? Because we had to go into importing things ourselves yeah. predominantly. And that's kind of where it is different, where you can't rely on the supply chain within China. You have to create the supply chain. And if anyone's listening who um, understands fundamentals of business management, retail operation for, for cash flow constraints reasons, because we don't have the same volume um, as a distribution business, importing is not part of a retail business. And it became part of ours, which, which, which was very difficult um, to balance cash flow and still is. Um, being an entrepreneur, though, you know, when you face difficulties, you always find ways around it. Uh, that's just one, but that's the importing side. But then there's the government regulatory side. So you've already got a difficult business to begin with, and then you're importing. And then you've got things stuck in customs sometimes for six months because the Chinese government decides to disagree with that product or that ingredient. Now, again, fast forward eight years later to where we are now, we don't have the same issue, issues because we have stronger relationships. And if anyone's listening out there, one of the keys for successful business in China is relationships. Um, so we, after many, many, many years, have uh, acquired key relationships in this area. Was that difficult to, to do? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It took uh, 
many years, many mistakes. And if anyone's listening out there um, and they think they know a, a Chinese buddy or my wife's Chinese, my, my friend's Chinese wife or my, my buddy that, that came to China for five times in a lifetime, they're not a China expert. Yeah. Um, you, you cannot be a China expert at all unless you live here in the trenches, battling in the trenches for a number of years. If you're here for six months, you know less than nothing because you've got a superficial understanding. You wait till two years, you start to understand. Now, whether it's in my industry or other industries, I'm just in one of the much more difficult industries than selling air purifiers, for example, which is a, you don't have to be an Einstein to sell air purifiers to expats that are scared of pollution. So each model has its own merit. So your customers, who are, you, who are your customers? Are they expats or are they the Chinese population? We started with 99% expats um, back in 2007 when we begun. Um, but now we're about 50-50 um, in, in the expat Chinese um, realm. In Beijing, it's probably even 60-40 now because um, it, you may already know there's been a dramatic exodus of, of expatriates in Beijing for, for various reasons. It's not just the pollution. If one lives in Beijing, as long as I did nine years, you know the many reasons why Beijing is not very... Um, hospitable like it, like it once was. So, Is that the reason why you've come to Shanghai now? Because well, we've got more operations in Shanghai. Yeah. We have three operations here, three retail stores, and uh, um, also Shanghai's a wonderful city. Um, I've got very little complaints about Shanghai. Um, it's just a nice have you been city. able to make friends here? Uh, look, you know, 37, I've got, a, I've got a kid now, lovely 10-month-year-old son, um, and, you know, it's different. I'm not in the party scene anymore, and... Uh, I go training, kickboxing training at eight fifteen tonight, and uh, you know, friends, friends are not as, as as plentiful as when you're young and you've got lots of energy. But yeah. friends, yeah, sure, but not a, not like back in the day. <laughs> so, what would be a typical day for you? Uh, get up, do emails, um, take my pre workout energy drink, yeah. go for a run or go for exercise. So the, tonight, I'm exercising in the evening. Um, if my, my son and wife are here, I'll be helping in the morning with my wife, with my son. Uh, she's in her hometown at the moment, so uh, I've got a little bit of freedom. You know, whether it's meetings or whatever, but I, I'm not much of an office person, so uh, I'm not always in the office. I, most of my work is behind the laptop and, and thinking of how to draft the next fantastic email. <laughs> when you came to China 10 years ago, did you have any expectations? The reason I came to China was being in Australia. If there's any Australian listeners, uh, there's a, a local, it's, I'm sure it's still around, I've been here a decade, but SBS, which is a local, um, uh, you could say international TV station in Australia. And a lot of um, the documentaries, which I, I love to watch, was always about mainland China and the development and what's going on and and I was always doing entrepreneurial things, side businesses here. I worked for GNC, which is the largest health nutrition in, in, in the centers in the world. Um, but I was always doing other things on the side. So I had an entrepreneurial bug in me. And China seemed to be the place I should go. Um, as, par as far as um, what to expect, I, I, I didn't really know much um, what to expect, but... Even if I had expectations, they certainly would not have prepared me 
Could you speak Chinese? I bought a, a, a CD of, of um, learning Chinese and I listened to my in my car going back and forth to work for an hour. So I learned how to say Ni Hao Ma, Wo Ai Ni. Now I got taught that first for any listeners who's learning Chinese. Very easy one for I Love You. Um, I got taught by Chinese. It's wall as in the wall, I as in your eyes, and Ni as in your knee, which I love you. So... That was the basic Chinese I ever learned. So I came in here um, with pretty much no expectations and no language. And I wasn't living in Beijing or Shanghai. Uh, my first city I lived in was Shijiazhuang, which is the capital of Hebei, which is, uh, you could probably say, a third-tier city in some regards. It is the most polluted city in all of China, and I would not see any foreigner uh, ever for, for months on end. So it was. I definitely got... Uh, um, my uh, my 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 feet wet very quickly on on Chinese culture and the real China. So you're working as an entrepreneur there, or what no? That? Actually, um, because I didn't know what to expect or even how to go through the working visa and all of these complicated things in China. I was an English teacher in a college that did physical education, so I was literally uh, teaching kind of health, fitness, sport English. Um, and I did that for six months and uh, died of boredom. Um, but when I wasn't teaching, which is definitely not something for everyone, although there are some people that do that daily here, um, I was immersed in the, the Chinese culture, so Chinese banquets, dinners, drinking. I did a lot of drinking in Shijiazhuang, um with the leaders of the school. And if you're in a Chinese college, it's nothing like uh, colleges in Australia or anywhere in the world, it's, it's a mini political system. So there's a lot of relationships, dinners, gifts. It's, 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 a, it's a real eye-opener in the way China works. You feel that was a good introduction to what well, we would expect later I, on I in I think um, most foreigners that come here, um, they think they understand China, and sometimes they have far better Chinese than myself, but... There's a big difference between understanding China and living in China. Um, and I'll say as well that most foreigners who live in Shanghai have even less understanding to those living in Beijing. Beijing is, is, is definitely a real, more real China than Shanghai. In Shanghai, you don't, even, you don't even need any Chinese to order a coffee. You know, I want an Americano, cafe. I mean, in Beijing, you have no choice. But I had um, an even... Uh, greater advantage or disadvantage. I lived in Shijiazhuang for six months, so it was really eye-opening. Uh, again, I didn't see any foreigners or communicated with any foreigners for sometimes months on end. So it, it, it really immersed me in the culture far more than, than anyone else, and I'm very grateful for that for that experience. You start to learn Chinese. Look, I should have studied, um, and I always kick myself, but when you're now running a business and there's daily activities in the brain, uh, studying is not something great, but again, living in Beijing, you just have to learn to get by. So um, my Chinese is at a level that I can get by on most things, but it's by no means very fluent. Do you have plans to change that? Or? Absolutely. Um, well, I've got a son who's uh, half Chinese with my lovely wife, and uh, I do plan. I did study a little bit uh, last year, but um, there's a, a few business goals that I need to achieve first so I can free up some space in my brain that's already overheated and then I'll be uh, immersing myself back into the books. So can you tell us? Um, well, as I mentioned to you earlier before we, we got on air, um, 
there's a few uh, hot irons in the fire at the moment. Uh, and if they work out, we will be expanding quite dramatically. Right now, there's, there's, there's a few hot irons in the fire. And uh, depending on which one does or does not come through, depending on what we're doing, but one of my major goals beyond just the expansion is to take um, away some responsibility and uh, stress from my own shoulders and, and work with much larger partners. Um, I'll say this for anyone listening that's thinking of coming to China, um, it's not, you know, some may disagree, but they either got lucky or they haven't been here long enough. China is not a place for entrepreneurs. Um, in the degree that it's very difficult to be successful, that it doesn't encourage. Now, that's on an expatriate level. There is a lot of entrepreneurs here, but the, the amount of those that are successful are not depending on the model, depending on the industry. Um, a service industry is obviously easier than a product-dependent um, imported product uh, dependent but um, in my industry you're either there's only two businesses that can be successful in my opinion it's probably eight years later I've come to this conclusion it's either big business that can afford to go big and still do things legally or there's SMEs, small business entrepreneurs that will avoid every type of costs legality possible to make money and we are neither so we are a foreign business trying to do things as much as possible by the book, finding competitors that will find every single way to avoid selling legitimate products, avoiding this, avoiding that, avoiding that. So um, we have no choice but to either go big or, you know, look, look at um, other solutions. <laughs> and you're, you're obviously choosing to go big by selecting... Um, well, it, it, you know, it's it's it's... To grow organically in a market like this with the amount of costs and everyone, oh, it's cheap to run in China. Again, another misconception. Rentals are more ex expensive here if you're in retail. Um, the social security, like the, all of the, ta the taxes you pay for staff, um, again, we pay them, unlike my competitors, are more expensive than that of Australia, for example. Um, your income taxes are high. You've got double taxes uh, coming into the border. Uh, so, for example, on our products, you've got a 17% and a 22% uh, tax. That's a VAT and a duties. Australia has a 5%. America has 0% on duties on, on imported Chinese goods. So it is very expensive to run um, if you're running a legitimate business. Um, so, therefore, if it's expensive to run, expenses are tied to profit, right? So it's it's hard to grow organically um, if you're not making very high profit margin, at least in my industry. Now, if I was selling uh, air filters with a 80%, 90% gross margin to expats and scaring them about pollution, well, I might be an expat, extremely successful business person, but I'm selling imported protein powder with a low um, profit margin um, with very high expenses. So, Do you think you'll be able to move production to China or is that possible one solution? The wine industry, the beer industry um, did that a number of years ago and that's certainly when uh, China's consumption of wine, which is now bigger than France, um, by, by leaps and bounds. But in our industry in health products with, with tainted milk formula, with tainted vitamins, with tainted XYZ, um, to manufacture in China the, the 
customer's perception of that is just not there. And I, and I don't think it's going to be there for a while, um, although the government wants it to be there because they don't want imported products. I mean, yeah. that's the reality. They want to send products to America. They don't want products to come into China. It's, it's on the economics. If you're importing uh, American products, what, which economy is that helping? It's helping American economy. It's not necessarily, although it is on the consumption level, um, which China needs to become a consumer-based society versus a real estate economic society. Um, but there's always hazards, like people are talking about the, the global platforms, the free trade zone, you know, uh, as, as, as a magic word and like, finally, China's opened up. I've been here a decade. I've been running the business for eight years. Now, I know it has some merit, but I also know China well enough. If it does start opening up and everyone starts selling, they're going to shut it down or put restrictions. An email this morning came through. There's massive talks in Hongzhou at the moment with Timor Global and, and all of these other things on major restrictions that are going to go through all of the global platforms because the demand on imported trusted goods is just too big here. No one wants look made in China except made in China laptops and computers and, and, and these, but food consumables, the demand here is, is more than any other country. Japan, for example, on the opposite level, people want made in Japan health products. In fact, far more than America, the trust on Japanese made health products is far superior than even America. Here, opposite. So we don't have that luxury of making here, and then they make the importing almost impossible. I'm trying to think of a solution to that. <laughs> go big or go home. Yeah. Yeah. Look, everyone, I mean, the amount of people that have come up with the idea of doing health food stores or importing or distribution, um, you know, it's kind of sexy business, especially in the sports nutrition. Like every expat, not every, but a lot of expats that train in the gym and they're like, oh, it's great, I'm going to do that business. The amount of emails and phone calls and meetings I've had from these people, and local local as well, and they, 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 they try to do it for six months, one year, and they give up because it's just so difficult. Um, and that being said, that's why eight years we're still the only true Western health food stall in all of China. It's not by accident. The outside world thinks, wow, you must be lucky, the first health food store in China no, because we're partly crazy. We're entrepreneurs and we have no choice. What are we going to do? Just leave? We've got our life savings, our life, everything into this business. There is no turning back. So you have to find solutions when you don't have a choice. So you, you're basically, you're importing. Mm -hmm. you're, you've got retail outlets. Correct. Um, you're liaising with government officials um, to get your products in. Um, what else are you doing to that? you wouldn't have to do if you were, say, in Australia or... I think that there's so many areas that make business here complex. And I'm, I'm, I'm not scaring the listeners um, into not doing business here because I think on the, the positive side, um, the amount of learning that you're forced to do makes you a better in business in multiple areas than you would ever have to do in Australia. So if you're training for a fight and you're sparring against weaker people, then you're going to not develop yourself. 
if you're sparring against the heavyweight and you're a, a bantamweight and you, you, you get your ass kicked repeatedly, but you get better and better and better. It's kind of like business here. You know, if you can make it in China, I think you have merit to make it anywhere. I don't think any environment can be this difficult. Um, where it's difficult and you wouldn't have to face in other countries, this, the list is just too large. But one of the most frustrating elements, and this is to do with the culture, and again, only for people who've lived here and done business here for as long as I have and, and others can understand, the locals on a B2B level, business to business level, they will not purchase from you if they believe they can possibly get it elsewhere cheaper. So they will do anything and everything possible to try and cut you out. And for example, if you're the exclusive distributor for, for example, Dimatize Nutrition, which is a, a big US brand, um, makes the, the number one hydrolyzed whey protein isolate, um, the number one casein powder. We're the exclusive distributor. That sounds great. Now in Australia, you become the exclusive distributor, retailers, B2B, business buys from you. It just happens. So if you're an Australian distributor, the only thing you need to worry about is having inventory and marketing and having a couple of employees in the warehouse to dispatch. That sounds easy. Fucking is, excuse the French. But in here, you've got to worry about so many other elements and people will just refuse to buy from you. Unless you're going to sell to them at cost or below cost half the freaking time, and I'm not joking. I mean, you're chasing cents or, or mal, like not even renminbi, you're chasing like cents within cents sometimes to try and win a wholesale account. And that doesn't make sense. So how are they, how are they getting the product? If they, if they want to sell a product, how do they get the well, product? Well, America is, has not in, in Asia policed the region in a long time. So it's just been a, a grey market mess for a long, long, long time. So there are wholesalers in America that sell into here. There are some buyers. Now, this is when I say here, they sell into Hong Kong as well. There are buyers um, as well that lie about the region that they're buying from, and then they swap the documents in the shipment. There are a lot of fake products in the market. Um, so in a market that is predominantly driven on price, it's hard to have profit left over to put that back into marketing. So what's the solution? The solution is to go big and create your own brands. That's the only solution. And not only is, is a, a good solution, but the amount of control you have on the brand and, and your business model is, is gigantic. I mean, people try to cut you out. It doesn't matter because they, they, they're buying from you anyway, if you are the brand. Um, but the, the issue is it's, it's very capital intensive. Um, so again, it, it's really the big business that will have the opportunity to, 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 to gain traction here. And I think that's in a lot of industries, but especially mine. So is that why um, you're unable to stop the grey market from getting into China? Because well, the, the actual pro the producer or the, the brand itself 
doesn't really mind who's selling their product, even if you have the sole distribution. Look, I mean, the bigger the brand, the more the complexity. We worked with, um, and if Twin Lab's listening, they probably won't like to hear that, but we worked with Twin Lab and and a number of other big US brands, but we didn't, and All American EFX, another one, we didn't see um, how bad the grey market was on these brands because the demand wasn't there as much so there wasn't as much parallel importing and uh fake no actually there was no fake products in efx and twin lab zero fake products because the demand wasn't as high therefore it didn't um it didn't validate um uh, fake producers now diamatize is a big brand so there's been really bad fake really high quality fake um, and, and, and a lot of parallel importers. Now, parallel importers coming from Taiwan, Hong Kong, or direct into China somehow. We've cleaned a lot of that up. How do you do that? How do you clean it up? Well, with a little bit of support from America, yeah. um, them helping us uh, trace some of the, the suppliers, and we're still trying to clean it up, but it's, but it, but it's difficult. So again, what, what you're looking at is a sexy business, and potentially it is a very sexy business, but the complexities of doing business here compared to a country like Australia, which is very old school in its in its um, distribution retail. I mean, people import, they distribute to a thousand retail stores in Australia. It's very easy. Um, here, there aren't sales channels. You've got to create your sales channels. And even if there are sales channels to sell to, they care only about price and will often refuse to buy from you unless you're selling at cost. Now, what kind of business person is going to sell their products at cost? And that's where business owners are encouraged to do fake product because they have no choice. If there's no profit margin to be made, how do you create profit margin? Fake product. I don't do that. Yeah. So if, if what would you advise customers if, they, they want to buy the genuine product. How, how would they go about buying the genuine product? Well, because it's going to be a problem for them to know that they're buying fake, even if it's cheaper. Well, this, this is the market demand. I mean, there is a, a large segment that will only, they will double check and double check that it's the real item. Um, but when the consumers want the cheapest, cheapest, cheapest thing, and it's just, whether it's an Asian mentality, but it's definitely a mainland China mentality. Um, they always want the cheapest thing possible, the, the, the inside deal. They don't want the outside discount deal. They want the inside discount deal. Um, look, it's, it's, it's literally impossible to guarantee. And for, 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 for those that say, oh, but I buy on Tmall, and Tmall, which is the upgraded version of Taobao, the business that is supposed to only have the official brands and the official products. And Timor may not be like me saying this, but um, it's very easy to sell fake products on there. And I know there's fake products on there because they just fake the documents. They use Photoshop and fake the documents and dump them on there. So um, <laughs> it's, that being said, most of Timor is definitely legitimate products, but it's not all. Again, because there's a way to fake the products through the fake documents. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, they're very um, creative at creating fake, whether it's the fake product or the fake documents or together fake as well. Um, look, the only way to really know is, is buying it in the home markets, buying in Vitamin Shop America, buying in GNC America, um, or buying for a, a company like WHS that 
that imports things themselves. So we are the, the supply chain. Um, and also WHS is different. We don't buy from brokers in the US. Now, sometimes the brokers have fake products in the US, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, we buy directly from the supplier. So for example, Dimatize, we buy directly from Dallas, Texas, headquarters Dimatize. Twin Lab, we buy directly from Utah, their headquarters. Uh, All American EFX, we buy from Minnesota, California, direct. Um, and, and the list goes on. Um, when we worked with Jaro Formulas and other big BMS vitamin brand, we bought from Los Angeles headquarters. So we know where the supply is coming from. The consumers know to buy in WHS where the supply is coming from. Now, with that being said, we're not the cheapest boys on the block, are we? This, this is the trade-off um, of, of, of creating um, a brand that is 100% trusted um, by creating that line, but then we're not going to be dumping our products online cheap either. It's like a therapy session, kind of, isn't it, mate? You know, I didn't know I was going to ramble on. I, my wife tells me off the time I ramble on. But yeah. it's, it's like a, a psychiatrist. I should be laying back on the sofa, right? The, the time you've been here, you've learned a lot and you're able to overcome those things. Yep. Um, that I've seen people come here and they've lasted months, maybe a year, maybe even a year and a half, and then they've gone back thinking, mm. never again. Yep. So, you know, your, you know, your, your experience is valuable. And, you know, I'm thinking maybe you could go into other areas, you know, as giving people advice that want to come to China. But what I've noticed is that people that are new to China, they, they believe that it's going to be easy. And when they're told, no, it's not so easy, they're saying to you, well, how do you know? And you say, I've been here 10 A decade. years, 11 years. Yeah. And then they'll say, well, I've got the money. I can do it. I'll, I'll sort it out. I'll do it my way. I have a Chinese friend. Yeah. So um, <laughs> they, I think there's a lot of knowledge here and a wealth of knowledge that can be used. And you'd be a valuable advisor to anyone choosing to enter the Chinese market. Hmm. Well, I, I agree, and, and that's where I'm, I'm looking at hopefully getting some partners yeah. on board. I mean, and, and that, that's really the issue. It's funny how, and I don't want to be uh, um, prejudiced um, against some Americans, but I, I feel sometimes the American uh, mentality coming here is they almost, almost often they throw their, their business planning book out the window. I mean, things you would never do in America or any other country if you're entering, they seem to throw that out the window and expecting this to be even easier. Oh, but I know it's about relationship, but I have my Chinese friend. Um, oh, I know importing is a little bit difficult, but I have another connection and oh, we'll work it out. Um, oh, retail, oh, that's easy. My friend has a friend who, who knows another friend. And it's, and it's, firstly, you need normal business planning. You don't want to over plan. You don't want to get your MBA degree people over and, and, and buy um, market research, which is made up market research. You don't want to go over researching, but you want to have fundamental planning yeah. and, and working with people that have been in the market for a decade or more, as long as they're credible people and they've really done something, they're not just, uh, you know, talking. BS um, makes a lot more sense than trying to learn it the hard way. But the problem is everyone expects, I'm smarter than that person. 
I'm going to be different than that person because I have my Chinese friend yeah. <laughs> or yeah. my Chinese business partner or my um, other, I've got a better business plan that's going to work better than WHS, which is the name of my company. And the, the truth is just so different than that. And what usually happens is you've, experience and you and you highlighted before is within a couple of months or a couple of years they they not only leave the market they leave the market with their tails so far between their legs they never come back again yeah so if they just listen to a couple of entrepreneurs that have battle wounds and scars to begin with um, money and entrepreneurialism could join together and create something big but you know often they don't want to listen they think why should I be sacrificing uh, equity um, when I can do it myself much yeah. easier. Yeah, it's a lot harder to do it yourself when you don't have the experience. Well, I'd say impossible because there's a difference between an entrepreneur who's young, he's got energy and he's a little bit crazy. And I'd say naive is probably a better word for most entrepreneurs. They think they can take on the world, including me when 10 years ago. But then there's reality kicks in, right? So an older um more mature business person that has money, they're not going to have that energy or that optimism. They get a couple of doors closed or a couple of problems on importing. They're going to leave the market as soon as possible. Oh, they lost quarter of a million dollars. Ah, it's only quarter of a million dollars. But a young entrepreneur doesn't have a choice but to stay in the game and learn and go down that rabbit hole. And that rabbit hole is deep and, yeah. and it's somewhat never ending. But we as a young entrepreneur don't have a choice. Big business people do, so they leave. So you've been in China 10 years. Mm -hmm. How would you say you've changed apart from learning about China? <clears throat> What's the biggest change? I had this conversation recently with friends um, and old acquaintances. The amount of change, again, depending on what you'll have, have to go through to, to, to make success here, the, the change is unprecedented. Um, Again, in a, in a fighting um, metaphor, when, you, when, you, when you're on the ropes and you've got no other choice but to keep throwing punches, otherwise you're going to die, um, and I'm, I'm obviously using that as a metaphor, but it's sometimes like that, you're forced to grow muscles and, and, uh, and find an inner you that you've never been, you've never had to find before. So the degree of change to Drew John Campbell that is now compared to a decade is is monstrous. And I would say largely better. Um, I think you become a lot more humble. Um, I, I certainly have become a lot more humble in um, the, my approach to life, um, a lot more realistic, um, less entrepreneurial, <laughs> uh, even though I'm supposed to be an entrepreneur. But I think that's largely a good thing and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have had that opportunity for personal development if I was in Australia, which is a very easy environment. What do you consciously set out to improve about yourself? Well, you can, I mean, you, the listeners are probably sick of hearing my, of my whining about business in China, although that is largely the reality. Um, but that being said, you can only blame yourself. I mean, if, if you kept, you're blaming the Chinese regulations, which are true, you're blaming the Chinese competitors, which is true, etc., um, 
But if you just did that every day, how do you get better yourself? So you need to look in the mirror and say, well, where do I need to improve? Um, what is wrong with me? So I think that's a responsible business owner and I think that's life as a real entrepreneur is rather than always blaming outside forces that may or may not be true, you have to really look within your own soul um, to find these solutions. I mean, that's why we're still alive to this day is um, certainly not just me. We're, uh, we've got a great team and, and, and great help um, amongst WHS, but it's, it's definitely, you know, my leadership has, has, has been a big part of that and, and constantly improving myself. So what are you looking to improve next? That's a good question. Um, I'm trying to read more books. What kind of books? Uh, anything I can get my hands on. I, I'm trying. It's 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 not easy. I try to get past five pages a night if if I can, but uh, just to try and I guess recode my brain and and get away from emails or, or watching TV series or movies. Are they business books or are they? Uh, sometimes, like yeah. I did a lot of business book reading before, yeah. and. Um, you know, they're, you know, personal development, they're good, but just anything that's got good English to try and improve my, my own English, yeah. um, my own spelling and grammar, just anything. I, I just purchased at Hong Kong Airport, um, and I'm only 25 pages in, but I do want to read it. It's called Taipan, which, uh, you heard of this book? Taipan, is that the James Cavell? Yes. Yeah. So, which I purchased in Hong Kong, yeah. it's it's um, a semi-factual factual story about the formation of Hong Kong yeah. uh, from from Britain, and uh, I think it's very fitting to, to talking about the trade. I mean, I'm in a trade business, and 156 years ago, 1841, uh, it, it, it talks about the reasoning the British Empire and, and and other countries had to have Hong Kong because the emperor at the time blocks trade that's a book i've just started and that's one area i'm trying to improve so yeah yeah i think the first book was shogun yes, yes. i haven't read that i yeah. just taipan i thought was very fitting um yeah. to what we're going through and it's all about trade which, yeah although people may not see it because you're not on the ground that same mentality and that same stranglehold on trade is still here it's just a little bit more open, yeah. and it's never going to be fully open, no matter how optimistic people think. What do you think the future holds in that respect? If, you say, if it doesn't open up completely, do you think there's a space for entrepreneurs here like you? Look, there is a space. I mean, if it, it just you've got to throw um, all normality of business planning out the window and, and create a business plan that suits this environment. And I know what that business plan is. Um, I mean, of course, one of them is, you know, large capital resources to be able to go big. That's one. But under a different model, um, this business can make a lot of sense. It's just, it's it's definitely not retail, um, which is, is, is very capital intensive and, and, and has a lot of uh, operational costs. But... Um, so do you think more on off more online? More well, online, online a lot. I mean, as everyone know, I mean, last last year, two thousand and thirteen, two thousand and fourteen, the online growth was forty nine percent in China. Forty nine percent in my category alone on online, which uh, sports nutrition, uh, vitamins was a hundred percent growth. 
in one year, 100%. What other markets have that? Is it happening in the retail sector? No, uh, there's many reasons for that. Online is definitely a play, but the issue, there's, there's always, it's always a double-edged sword, is online now is so competitive and so many um, players on the market to differentiate yourself is very difficult. So actually for our model and moving forward, um, to differentiate ourselves on the online and, and what the, the larger potential um, the equity partners we're talking to or even acquisition partners we're talking to is an O2O o um, model. Um, for listeners who don't know, O2O, o, modern term, offline to online, online to offline. So um, that's where we will differentiate ourselves by having the health products in the store, um, education within the stores, stores um, and having more stores open, but having larger warehousing um, for a larger array of uh, products, choices, uh, on the online channels. And that's a way to differentiate yourself. So you can utilize the stores and the bricks and mortar um, to convert customers, sell to customers, educate customers, as well as using, especially in China, the bricks and mortar uh, to build trust with the customers um, because there is so there is so much fake product out there, the bricks and mortar allow someone to touch and feel the products and then they can buy online. So moving forward, um, that's, that's what we're looking at doing. Um, but for young entrepreneurs out there that are, that are looking to do some kind of business in China, um, try to make it a simple business. Um, don't try to take on the world, which is what I did, um, the first health food stores in China, uh, importing in China, all of these, all of these things. If you just try to make a simple business plan with the the aim of making money early on in, in the business operations and not constantly expanding, opening up a new city, a new store, um, you're going to be more likely for success. Um, it, it may not be the biggest uh, thing out there. It may not be the biggest dream, but you're making money. And, and, and sometimes forget being an entrepreneur, just concentrate on making money. And, and, and that's... In itself, a reward. <laughs> Online, cheap either. Is there anything you would just like to finally add to somebody thinking of coming to China for the first time? Well, I mean, if if you're a young entrepreneur, you and you you were like me ten years ago, um, you'll probably think, well, he's had a tough time, but I'll do it better, and that's good. I mean, when you're young, you've got all that energy. Um, sell your car, sell your furniture, sell your TV. Um, give give your cat uh, to your mother, which is what I did. All of those things, and you know, burn your bridges and and, and come into China and make it work. Um, so, you know, everything I've just said, um, it's true. But at the same time, it's giving me an opportunity to really learn who I am as a person, um, to really test my my limits as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. So. For young people out there, and, and if you're anything like me, you know, who's this idiot Drew, you know, what am I going to listen to him? No, I mean, I'm going to do it myself, I'm going to do it better. And you should be thinking that way because you're young. So, you know, go for it. But it's not going to be easy, and I'm going to warn you that. If you think you're going to be making a million dollars in two years, definitely don't come over here. 
Um, but if you're prepared to put in the work and know it's going to be bloody difficult and, and, pe- and be prepared for really deep personal change because you have no choice, then do it. You may or may not be successful, but sometimes the personal development it's itself and in itself and the, the lessons in life are sometimes its own reward. Okay, Drew. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll keep in touch. Yep. Cheers, mate. Right. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. <laughs> Drew Campbell can be contacted on LinkedIn. And his website is at www.worldhealthstore.com.cn. This brings us to the end of this episode of Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action. Now we need you to hit the subscribe button and head over to asiabizstories.com for more great information on how to take your inspiration and turn it into action. Thanks again, and we look forward to having you join us next time on Asia Biz Stories, Entrepreneurs in Action.